Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk with my guests about the games that we enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, the bolt action requests have been coming thick and fast through the Cast Dice Facebook page. As always, thank you very much for letting me know what you guys want to hear. I'm on a bit of a bolt action kick myself, and I know the show is skewing that way pretty heavily at the moment, but given my history of podcasting about bolt action, that's not terribly surprising. But today is a special request episode. Um, It is by a listener, and uh, it is a listener who I'm speaking to today. But it's also a topic that I had been considering and thinking about. And when I read his blog article about today's topic, it really reinforced something that was already percolating in the back of my head. Now, for better or for worse, mostly worse, there is a reputation about the French in World War II. We've all heard the white flag jokes, the surrender monkeys, you name it. You've heard the French being besmirched in World War II. We've heard it. It's, it's, it's a given. It's a meme. It's a joke. It's constant. But there is a far more complex story behind the French in World War II. And part of that is what we're going to talk about today. Now, clearly, we've talked about the Free French a little bit on other shows. We've talked about the French Foreign Legion with Brian Cook in the past. Uh, we've talked about quite a few different French elements. But today, I really want to talk about the Free French from the Battle of the Bulge book. And the Free French do get a little bit of a bad rep and not the usual surrender joke rap, but from people who think that they are the competitive bees knees of bolt action. A lot of podcasts talk about how the free French are just a poor man's America. Why would you ever not just take the armies of the USA? And today we are going to talk about the armies of free French. And if I'm going to do that, I need someone who knows more about this than I do. And that's my man, Ian, over from Ain't Over Till I'm Out of Plastic blog. Ian, man, welcome to the show. Hi, Brad. I was looking forward to doing this in person, but I guess because of your uh, you know, quarantine rules, I have to do this from 9,000 miles away, <laughs> which is fine because my chair is nice and comfy. I was going to say, my, cares, uh, my chair is pretty comfortable too, but uh, yeah, the joy of the internet, right? We get to talk shop from across the world. Get that crunch on, right? Oh, yeah, I've met like, three French people and a Dutch person and a couple of Englishmen. It's great. Yeah, it is, man. It is. Now, you share a passion of mine for the free French. Now, for me, it's always been sort of a passing fancy. I think the Battle of the Bulge book is one of my favorite campaign slash theater book additions to Bolt Action. I absolutely love Empires and Flames. Everyone talks about Budapest, obviously, but I think Battle of the Bulge is in my top three. I just love it. And one of the coolest additions to Bolt Action from that book, in my opinion, is the Free French Army List. I'm so glad we got another armies of 
rule list or army list in that book that really does allow you to play something different. Now, when we first looked at that list way back when on the Ghost Army podcast, we talked about how similar it was to the U.S. I mean, a lot of the units are equipped with U.S. gear. You see the bars rather than the LMGs. You you see even troops wearing American uniforms. And you see the vehicle list that looks suspiciously out of armies of the USA. And it's easy to make that comparison to the United States, right? But it really... it. I recently took this army out on the tabletop and messed around with it a little by myself where I put up some units and pushed them around the board just to get the mechanics of it in my head right. Because it's one thing to see it. It's another thing to put boots on the table. But then I actually sat down with a full free French army, and I'll talk more about that later, and played a proper game against my old buddy Dave, uh, who's recently picked up bolt action, and he wanted to play his Germans, so we actually put a Battle of the Bulge situation on the tabletop, played a full game, and his list was nothing to sneeze at. It was very hard, uh, fair, but (laughs) stiff. And I was really happy with how the Free French went, and I was running a very basic list. Let's talk a little bit about your thoughts about the Free French versus the armies of the USA. Because obviously, it's, uh, it's clear that you can make those comparisons. It's the very first thing you do, simply because they're very similar equipment-wise. But the rules well, really do set them apart, don't they? They do. Um, I think the biggest reason people make that comparison is because half of the entries in this army list say, see armies of the United States. Exactly. You need the other <laughs> book to play the army full stop. Yes, but I think they they stand out on their own pretty well. Um, you know, I listened to your last episode, uh, is playing the U.S. easy mode? Uh, I consider it boring mode. I don't know if I consider <laughs> it easy mode. Well, maybe it's a little of both. Yeah, look, that's not an uncommon uh, reaction to the armies of the USA. Uh, some people find it a little dull. And look, for better or for worse, there's... The U.S. mass-produced things uh, and just flooded the battlefields in World War II with it. And because of that, it was a lot of standardization. And there's a little less variety in the U.S. list than maybe some of the other army lists we see on the bolt-action tabletop. We, we talk about that in-depth with Gorshin in the episode, Is U.S. Easy Mode? Thank you for the, the nod back to the previous episode. But this is almost an even more slimmed-down list of units however i almost feel like this has more flavor it does especially since you have the empire to draw upon for your units Mm -hmm. there you go and we'll talk more about that in a second but i suppose let's get into the nitty-gritty of it who are the free french um can you give us just a a couple of bullet points there just so we get a a contextual view for those who think that everyone in france surrendered the second germany showed up on their border well, they are quote unquote Frenchmen. Um, there was actually quite a few uh, colonial. We'll call a lot of them volunteers because mm-hmm. a lot of them were. Yeah. There were a few that you Weren't, know were yeah. kind of convinced to go, mm-hmm. but by and large they were volunteers. Uh, I think a lot of those French troops that escaped at Dunkirk uh, that were repatriated kind of lost faith in their allies and decided to form the resistance movement, mm-hmm. which is represented in this list. It is so. Um, it's not like they gave up either. They just went and fought the war a different way. Mm-hmm. 
the uh, the Free French, as we know them, started with the the Thirteenth Demi Brigade of the Foreign Legion, and they you know picked up all of their African compatriots, the ones that decided to stay, mm-hmm. liberated the ones that decided not to stay, mm-hmm. formed a new army of a lot of Vichy, former Vichy troops, and sent them to Italy, and they had a lot of uh, they had a lot to prove because they were all former Vichy troops. And then they helped break the Gustav one. That's right. And now these guys were all under Charles de Gaulle. Charles de Gaulle became the figurehead of this this free French movement, right? Through a series of of blunders and other shenanigans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, he sure did. Yes, he did. Uh, and then along the way, the Free French fought along Allied troops, as you say, through Italy up to France and eventually led to the liberation of France and yep. fought through to the end of the war, fighting through Germany. Yes. Uh, French, and I say that again with quotation marks, because the first French troops in Paris were actually uh, Spanish exiles from mm-hmm. the Spanish Civil War who said, fascists, we're not letting this happen again. Get the hell out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's fascinating, right? There are such There's such a pantheon of troops. We think of the the british in if we think bolt action and we think of the commonwealth and we think of all the different nations under that flag and yet when people often speak about the french forces in world war ii they often think of one nation of people the french and yet the free french forces really are made up of a myriad of peoples from across the world yep the senegalese the algerians the moroccans I think the Caledonians mm-hmm. uh, provided some troops. Not as... 100% on that. Uh, in Indochina, the uh, Japanese tried to squash them flat after Paris was liberated. And the, the 5th Foreign Infantry Regiment had to fight its way to China. Brutal. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. And I guess, the, the as you said, the, the comparison to the U.S. is often because of the gear and the vehicles. Right. And, Though the French were made up from peoples from around the world, they were largely equipped by the the mass industrial might of the U.S. Um, That's where they got a lot of their gear. Yes, there were occasional uh, people using old French gear, uh, depending on where those troops had come from and what the situation was and whether or not they were re-equipped or whether they wanted to be re-equipped. There are lots of stock photos of free French soldiers fighting in Italy and in France wearing their traditional uh, French helmets of, you know, that you saw in 1939. um, Oh, those were clung to very strongly. Yeah, except wearing American uniforms. But they're fighting along other free French soldiers wearing American helmets. So, it I mean, clearly they had their own badges and they had their own ranks and everything was appropriately labeled as free French, but they were still wearing American issue gear so this force does give you a lot of opportunities to convert and to come up with a force that looks really neat and original and isn't just a cut and paste of an american army even though that's may have been what i did on the board the other day well you know you play with the models you own right exactly i'm glad you said that makes me feel (laughs) a little less bad about that Uh, by the time you were playing you know that late 44 early 45 they had you know, even more U.S. equipment. So the Garand was even more prevalent than mm-hmm. 
earlier. So it's actually not as inaccurate as you might think. Yeah. When this list came out, what I often heard a lot of critics say was this. Well, why aren't you just using U.S. rules? And I know a lot of people did use U.S. rules. Uh, I'm even pretty sure Brian Cook, because he had a free French army prior uh, to this list coming out, was running free French as the U.S. Because obviously there is the comparison with all the gear and everything is there. It's it makes for uh, an easy port over if you're looking to reskin things. But the criticism of this list is, well, why wouldn't you, wouldn't you just use U.S.? Because the U.S. have the fire and maneuver rule, which we talk about at length in the episode, is U.S. easy mode. And the Free French obviously don't have that rule. Now, when we were talking off air, I said, well, that, as you talked about, the Garand wasn't as prevalent uh, in Free French forces, so that's why maybe they didn't have the rule. And I mentioned it didn't follow the the doctrine of fire and maneuver that the U.S. used in World War II. But as you rightly pointed out, lots of nations used variations of that, didn't they? They did, because fire and maneuver is just a, a, a concept where part of your force lays down suppression fire and the other half maneuvers, and you can do that at the squad level, the platoon level, the company level, so on and so forth. But the armies of the United States, verbatim, you know, mentions that they get fire and maneuver and M1 Garands and BARs to throw lead down range to mm. then give them the, you know, uh, benefit to moving and shooting. Exactly. And if you've ever watched that old YouTube clip of, uh, what's his name, U.S. Arnie uh, from Full Metal Jacket, uh, walking down range, firing a bar at different targets. Uh, you really do get the the feeling that this is a weapon that you can fire on the move with. However, that said, the Free French, while most forces in that army have the bar, they don't have that rule. Uh, now, they do have lots of other rules, and some of them are similar to the U.S., and some are not. Shall we get into the nitty-gritty? Let's start with sacred ground. Sacred ground. The Frenchmen are fighting for their own homeland against the very invaders which pushed them out in 1940. The stakes are high, and the grim determination of the French fighting man is at its zenith. Any regular or, or veteran infantry unit may be stubborn for plus one point per model. And that is huge. I'm glad you said that. Because that really is the, the crux of what gives this army its character, isn't it? It is. Now, having played against a lot of paratroopers over the years, uh, I can tell you that uh, stubborn is a really good rule. But in bolt action, you typically see it attached to veteran units. And what makes the Free French really interesting is you can attach it to non-veteran units. So you can actually give it to your regular squads. And as someone who plays regular, regularly... Uh, it's my standard way of list building for most armies in bolt action. It was remarkable to be able to put that on my regular squads. Because with regular squads, you usually are taking more casualties. It is more likely that you are going to need stubborn as a rule on those squads than your veteran squads. And it really does add to the durability of those forces on the tabletop. Is that your experience with this? Because I know you've played with it more than I have. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. And I, it's really great on like your weapons teams. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, your sniper loses his buddy. Huh, guess I'm still sticking around because I'm still leadership nine or 10 or 
I actually, I guess your sergeant would technically be dead, so eight or nine. Yeah. But, I mean, still, not suffering those pins, that's amazing. It is. And that's especially true with stubborn as a rule, because I'm used to playing my Japanese, and everyone has fanatic. But fanatic stops working when you're down to one man. Stubborn doesn't. Stubborn always stays. And so I know that in when I was messing around on the tabletop, not in the formal game I was playing, but when I was pushing units around, I intentionally stuck a regular squad on an objective. And having that with, I, I was able to pile a bunch of pins on that squad. It went down, uh, and so it was harder to hit. But people were able to plink guys off, plink guys off, plink guys off in the process, putting a ton of pins on the unit because they, they weren't able to get a lot of hits but they were able to get a couple each time because the negative modifier for going down and it led to a lot of sixes on sixes. But what that meant was when that squad was down to one guy and it had four pins, it really didn't matter. Uh, and that can be huge in the bottom of the last turn of a game when you do need to grab that objective and sit on it. Stubborn on regular troops, man. Whew, it's good. It's amazing. Uh, the only thing that would make this rule better is if it was free, like the Japanese. But for yeah. one point, a guy, I won't complain too no, hard. And it, it feels like uh, when you initially look at this list that that is the national rule. And we'll get to the other two. But that feels like that's the big one. But just like the U.S. have the bar, quote-unquote, as a national rule, or the Germans have tiger fear and assault rifles as, quote-unquote, national rules, um, and the Soviets have um, bomb dogs, quote-unquote, as a national rule, things that make that army unique and different on the tabletop, the Free French have other units that have special abilities that are baked in as well, that I feel like should be in the national rules section almost. And we'll talk about those in a minute. Hey, I'm kind of wondering if uh, when this next Italian campaign book comes out, if that's the kind of special rules we might see for the French forces yeah. in that book, mm -hmm. if they you know, get their spotlight like they should. Especially given the <clears throat> free French forces contributions to the Battle of Monte Cassino, which is one of my favorite battles in World War II. And it will be covered extensively in the next Italian book, spoilers. Um, I haven't seen it. I've just been told. Uh, I'm very excited for that. And I can't wait to see how the Free French are in that book. And I'm just hoping that they are because I'm looking forward to adding to this list. Although, honestly, spoilers, I don't know if this list needs a lot of adding to. Well, let's get to the other. Let's get to the other national rule, la resistance, uh, and basically that is thousands of resistors were drafted into the Free French Army as it advanced. A late war Free French force may include a free ten-man FFI squad, uh, if it includes two or more FFI squads of any size. A free FFI squad must pay the points for any upgrades that they are equipped with. So this is almost like the free squad that the soviets get except in order to get it you need to buy two more inexperienced ffi squads yes it is a copy and paste over from the french list from the other book uh, it's actually one. slightly better because you only buy or you only have to buy two to get one free not, not three. three to get one free exactly. and these guys are green which i'm sure we'll get to oh yeah but yes which does make this better. a lot better as you say but 
as someone who's not interested in running FFI units in a free French army, this doesn't really appeal to me, but I know it would for a lot of players. Um, have, do you run FFI in your squads in your, sorry, in your army, or is this, I've started to mm -hmm. just because I want to try all of my various options. Mm -hmm. So the last two tournaments I've been to, I brought uh, three FFI squads. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's why we couldn't record last weekend. I was at uh, Bug Eater in Omaha nice. playing with the Free French where I won Best General. Hey! Or not, sorry, not Best General, Best Allied General. I didn't come in first. Got to hey, clarify that. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> uh, well... Cool. Well, I definitely want to talk to you about your experiences using the Free French, particularly in a tournament standpoint, in a minute. So we'll get to that. But let's talk about the local area knowledge, which is the third national rule. Now, this one's going to sound really familiar, really familiar if you're a U.S. player, um, Kinda, which sorta. is a late war Free French army does not suffer the minus one penalty for attempting to bring vehicles onto the table. Now, I want to draw an underline under that. It's not the squads. It's vehicles, and that is different from where that rule appears in other books. Typically, you see that uh, the French, sorry, the Finns have it. Uh, you see it with the Partisans. You see it with the Americans. In those armies, you get the the minus one for coming on the table, uh, as in from reserve. It's anything. This is only vehicles. Am I reading this right? Yeah, and it's really not that bad. I've actually been incorporating that into some of my strategies mm -hmm. because so many missions that's deploy half your force exactly. half have to go in reserve and preparatory bombardment's a thing so i just keep my vehicles in reserve and then bring them on with no penalties to their morale and it's also good for bringing transports full of troops on mm -hmm. sure the troops don't get it but their transport does so it doesn't matter yeah that's a really good point i'm glad you said that there's one more sort of special rule that I think we should cover because it applies to any infantry squad. Mm -hmm. And that is at the beginning of the Battle of the Bulge book, there are rifle grenades. Yes, you are. Yes, I'm glad you said that because, again, that's one of those national rules that's sort of baked in. Now, does that work for all army lists or is that only for specific battles in this book? I hadn't actually checked that. So the little box, I have the book in front of me here. Uh, the little box at the bottom says U.S. and Free French, 0 to 3 per squad. British, 0 to 1 per squad. Germans, 0 to 2 per squad. So it only specifies those three na or four nations. Mm -hmm. um, I think other books have included them, and it's usually like a 0 to 1 or 2. Mm -hmm. But because the Free French are in this book, and so are these rifle grenades, and so is this little box that says zero to three per squad, that's mm -hmm. what I'm going with. Yeah, there you go. And are these something you use regularly? I used them for the first time in this tournament. Um, I love them. I will probably try and find ways to bring them in more often because they are amazing. They're essentially just light mortars, though, right? For uh, is it, What's the points that you pay for them? Uh, so it's kind of steep at 20 points, yeah. but they are like 18 inch light mortars mm -hmm. but you know if you want to run ffi heavy stick them on the ffi it doesn't matter if they're inexperienced oh, they're yeah. indirect that's a really good point i hadn't thought of that that's a very that, good point that's not actually what i did with them it's actually kind of funny what i did with them and we can get to that a little later when we get to the unit i put them on because mm -hmm. it's actually kind of funny to <laughs> me 
<laughs> Maybe looking... not to anyone else, but to me, I found it kind of funny. Nice. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Well, let's get into the units themselves, shall we? Um, now, you have, as I said, written a really in-depth review of all of the squads in this army in the Ain't Over Till I'm Out of Plastic blog on the post that you put up on Thursday, April 21st, 2022, which is the breakdown of the Free French. Let's talk about the headquarters units. Do you want to run us through? Because I don't think there's a lot different from a lot of the books, but you are definitely a man who knows how the national rules play into this. So why don't you talk us through the headquarter units? Well, so by and large, they're the same as any other nation. You get your first and second lieutenants, captains, majors. Um, I, And because they come from either armies of France or uh, armies of the United States, mm-hmm. I think they run the gamut from inexperienced all the way up to veteran. Yep. Um, then, you know, you've got medics. You've got both uh, air and artillery. The chaplain uh, was added into this book. Uh, have you – should I go over what that does? I think yeah, you've gone please. Over um, but it's the intelligence <clears throat> officer and the chaplain, right? Yep, and I was going to get to the intelligence okay. officer second here because there's good. a little more about him. The chaplain's pretty simple. Uh, you keep him within six inches of a unit, and he can try and remove a pen from that unit with his order dice. So he's almost like a medic, but instead of getting rid of casualties, you actually get rid of – Pinning. Yeah, I know that isn't a direct comparison to the rules, but just figuratively, it, that's what they do. I mean, it's fairly close. He can't use guns either unless it's in self-defense. Exactly. Um, he's a cheap order dice, but he can't hold objectives. Yeah. So, oh, I always uh, forget he can't take objectives. Yeah. Yeah, I've never really played with the chaplain, and uh, I usually wind up killing chaplains when people play them against me, and I joke that my French are Catholic and he must be Protestant or something. <laughs> on that note (laughs) grim Uh, well it's I mean you're right they are cheap it's 20 points inexperienced 25 points regular or 30 points veteran and as you said they have the self defense only rule and yes they have the non-combatant so they can't be used to claim objectives which means you know oftentimes when we think about cheap order dice I know that a lot of people have been talking about the joys of inexperienced light mortars as a super cheap order dice you can put into your army. And yes, that's great. And these guys are a similar point value to that, except they can't shoot, but they do, as you say, get rid of a pin. Uh, and they they can't shoot, but they also can't grab an objective. So unlike that mortar, you can't use them to grab an objective in the last turn of the game, which you know can be game-breaking depending on the situation. They are a cheap order dice, which is nice. And it's good that this army has that, right? I I don't think I've ever really had an issue with uh, bringing enough order dice. But if you feel like you really need something, it mm-hmm. is there, just exactly. like a medic. Exactly. And it, and it can give you options to try something new if you get to that awkward point that I know uh, our buddy Lee Avery talks about. Uh, occasionally when you're list building, you get down to that last 20... 10, five points and go, I don't know what to spend this on. If you've already kitted out your squads and you're not sure what else to, to get and you like, what do I do with this? That might just be an option. Uh, if you you're in that position. Could Actually, the answer is now rifle grenades. If you have 20 points, you stick a rifle grenade somewhere. 
oh, as a Japanese player who's run lots of knee mortars in the past, I just, I, I can't, I want to talk to you about your experience because I've had some, I've had some success, but let's just say it's limited at best. They work just as well as a deterrent as they do as an offensive weapon. I think uh, I think the players here don't respect them, so they're not much of a deterrent. And that could just be a difference in our metas. Yeah. I think it's also uh, people knowing how little I hit with mortars. But anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the intelligence officer, because as you say, this is a significant add to this army list. And I know the intelligence officer is in a lot of lists, but what is what is your take on this in this list? I really like him, but I can never be bothered to find the points to take one for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, right. Now, there is an actual squad that we'll get to later, the French intelligence squad. But that is fairly expensive for what it is. And yeah, it actually can be more expensive than your bog standard veteran squad with some SMGs in it. it it's kind of silly. Yeah. It, it's The intelligence rule just costs a lot of points for what it is. But what does it do? Because it can be really important. I've definitely had moments where I just sit there going, I wish I had an intelligence officer. I wish I had an intelligence officer. And yet I never have one. Yeah. Um, so we've all been there because what he does is, uh, you know, before the turn starts, you can opt to roll a dice with his special rule. And if he's regular on a four plus, you can pull out your and order dice. I think mm -hmm. it doesn't even specify whose. Like, you could make your opponent go first, theoretically. Oh, I mm. don't know why you would. Mm, uh, right? But, uh, yeah, most people would just take their own dice because usually you're at that point where, oh, I need the first dice. And you can modify that role. If he's a veteran, it can be a five-up role. Or if he's an inexperienced intelligence officer, uh, it can be a... Um, Sorry, it'll be a five-up roll if he's inexperienced and right. a three-up roll if he's he's veteran. Mm -hmm. uh, but you only get that once in the game. So it, like, is it worth the points? I've I've usually found it to be worth it. It's situational, right? It really does come down to it, and it's what you really want. It's I, it's just one of those tools. You know, people talk about, oh, I can't take that. It's not efficient. Well, if it happens to fit into your game plan, then it's worth it. And if you really want or need that tool, I really like that it exists. I do, too. Um, I've used them before at least once in a tournament and a few times in friendly games. And he usually works out. But I've usually paid the points for him to be veteran to kind of ensure that it works out. Mm -hmm. uh, he's 39 points, which isn't terrible at veteran, that is. He's yeah. 30 points regular. Um, I've usually taken the squad, though instead of the intelligence officer by himself. Mm -hmm. But I have played with the idea of taking him with the, uh, the LT because it doesn't say he replaces one of the extra guys. So you could have the LT, his two extra guys, and this intelligence officer form like a backfield submachine gun squad, which could come in handy. Oh, that's a good point. Hmm. Yeah, that could. Or and I know in your blog you mentioned that you could stick this into like an M3 scout car with a bazooka team, with a flamethrower, with a couple of you know really offensive units um, if you need to run out and, and tag someone. And 
by putting them in that transport with those vehicles, yeah, you're probably going to be a bullet magnet. But if you are able to get, oh, how should I say, get that order dice, you're able to sort of get into position maybe a little bit earlier. Perhaps at the if you drive the vehicle on as the last order dice on one turn um, so that it's sort of in position and then as the new turn flips over, um, you can use the intelligence officer to have someone hop out of the transport and, you know, zap someone before they have the opportunity to deal with your transport full of things, right? Yes, um, and that can actually come in handy for uh, everyone's favorite rule, confused fight. <clears throat> so confused fight, as a lot of people know, maybe not everybody, but most of us know, yeah. that that is a mission rule where you can come in from any table edge, but the minute you come on from one edge, it's locked down to your opponent, but mm -hmm. if you come in from another edge you have unlocked the edge previous. So the new edge you've come on is locked down. So you could flank your opponent pretty easily uh, with a, an M3 scout car full of SMG guys and a flamethrower and a bazooka team. Yeah. I don't, oh God, it's, it, <laughs> it does just scream bullet magnet. I, when I see something like that happening, I put half my army on reserve, which I means I guess they're not shooting at the rest of your army. Uh, but yeah, there is no way I'm going to let something like that survive if I can help it. Uh, well, if it's confused fight, they're already in reserve. That's true. To be honest, I haven't played that rule very often. If God, I, maybe it at all, uh, it just doesn't seem to appear down here very often. And I know we do tend to play a lot of missions out of the bolt action Alliance mission pack because we're often play testing them. So I haven't played a lot of missions with that rule, but might be time to it does it does really cause interesting decisions to be made on the tabletop right it does they try not to use it here uh but the tournament i went to this past weekend parts of it had to be thrown together last minute because the to that was gonna run it kind of quit and someone else had to step in mm. and so he was like um so i've got a couple of, of missions from like snafu and then i'm just gonna use a couple of these book missions yeah. And, you know, at least we all are working from the same page that yeah, way. Exactly, right? Uh, and it's, it may not be everyone's favorite, but like if you can work with it, you can work with it. Absolutely, right? Yes. Nice. Well, let's, let's roll into the squads themselves, our infantry squads and teams. Now, the basic squad for this army, at least the one that I think is the basic, is your regular infantry squad. It's sort of the backbone of a lot of armies. And in this case, it is literally a cut and paste from the American book, except for one little notification, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But you have a six-man squad for 60 points. They come with rifles. You can have six additional guys for 10 points each, NCO with a machine gun, and you can have a bar. Uh, or of or an LMG. Yeah, exactly. And there's the difference. You can take an LMG in a regular infantry squad, which you cannot take in the American book, right? Correct. Uh, historically, the French preferred their uh, their light machine gun, the FM twenty four twenty nine, over the bar. So they they tended to get their hands on those when they could, and just kind of dealt with the bar when they couldn't. And what's interesting here is, though this is a late war squad. Unlike the late war counterpart in the American book, they only get one bar. This is a direct copy over from the earlier 
war squad for the Americans because they just don't have the proliferation of bars that the actual U.S. forces have, right? Correct. Now, they also have an inexperienced squad, which is literally the same thing. Um, again, you can have up to one bar or one light machine gun. You can have one submachine gun. And again, both squads can take uh, anti-tank grenades. So, so far, we're looking very U.S.-y. Uh, yeah, but- I don't... Like, I get why this, this entry is here, but it seems really pointless at times because there's a better and experienced squad further down and they can't be stubborn like the regulars can um i guess unless you want to give them three uh rifle grenades and just have them be an inexperienced mortar squad yeah they they do just seem not great i guess true sometimes you do only have the points for an inexperienced squad and hey it might be the theme of the army that you're looking to run for a particular event um in the game that i played against dave the other day i wanted to just get a basic feel for the free French on the tabletop. So I took five of the regular squads and I kitted them out with stubborn for one point each. And they were eight man squads. Each had a bar, each had a submachine gun. And they were, they were literally my, the models, my great coat Americans from my battle of the bulge army that I took as free French. And uh, (laughs) I shared some pictures with some French, some of whom are French players who went, wow, where'd you get a French army from nowhere? And I was like, it's my Americans. Uh, (laughs) And hey, it it worked perfectly because it was literally designed for this same time period with the same uniforms and the same gear. So it worked great. But let's, let's get into some of the more eclectic and interesting units that other people may not be fully aware of Oftentimes, when I talk to people about Free French, uh, I've heard them just say, yeah, they're just straight out of the American book. Well, the rest of the entries in here are not. So let's talk about the FF5 squad, because you mentioned it before. It is an inexperienced squad. It is a, an NCO and five guys. You can have five, up at five additional dudes. So it's an inexperienced squad that can only take up to 10 guys. I know that sometimes we think inexperienced squads can go big. Not the case this time. You can have the NCO and up to two guys with submachine guns, and you can have a light machine gun for 20 points. Of course, as you say, rifle grenades are a thing in this army list, but of course it is not listed in there, and they are green. So what was your experience? How did you kit these guys out in at Bug Eater? Three SMGs each. Yep. Run them I- forward. Uh, or hold them back on an objective, what was your game plan with these guys, or did it change by game? Uh, so typically the plan was the three FFI squads and a first lieutenant and a uh, <clears throat> a Prevo Militaire squad, which we'll get to a little mm-hmm. later. They were usually what I deployed on the table, and their job was either you know go forth and capture objectives if that was the mission, or just hold on until my reserves came in. And I ha- also had a, a squad of goons that was kind of like their backbone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, those goomiers kept dying in hand-to-hand combat, which was weird. And I kept winning a lot of assaults with the FFI, which was also weird. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
you know, bolt action happens, right? <laughs> you know, I know that's the case, right? <laughs> well, let's let's jump then to the Prevo Militaire squad because I think they do go hand in hand with inexperienced squads, particularly FFI squad, because they have green. Um, so for twenty points, you get an NCO and three dudes. So it's essentially five points a guy. Um, they have rifles and they have pistols. Actually- they just have pistols. There was like an FAQ ah. that made it to where you have to buy the rifles. Oh, of course. Yeah, as you actually look down at the list, it says any member of the squad can be given a rifle for three men. Wait, three points is that a man. actually in there? Oh, yep. it is in there. Yep, 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 yep. Or a submachine gun for six points. And I know when I first looked at this, I said, why are you buying them rifles if they already have rifles? Clearly, they FAQ'd that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you can add up to, which is why they're so cheap. Um, but you can then add some machine guns if you want. But they are four guys. Now, I know that when I am putting this down on the tabletop, I was hesitant to put one of these in because it eats up a infantry squad option. But if we look at the selectors bit, it says a French army that includes inexperienced irregular infantry as an option. Um, one of these sections may be replaced with a uh, military squad. So I I don't know if I want four inexperienced guys as one of my squad options, given how precious infantry slots are in my army list. I'm someone who believes in putting a lot of infantry on table because this is, I mean, I've said it a million times, bolt action is a uh, infantry-based game. There's a lot of objective grabbing in this, and vehicles can't grab objectives. It has to be infantry. So I always want solid, dependable infantry. And four inexperienced guys ain't it. But if you combine that with the free FFI squad, I feel like you're trading out one squad for another, if that makes sense. Because you're getting the free squad. So you're getting a new full squad that can grab objectives. And the the Prevair Militaire squad are almost like a little bonus you're putting in. It's like you're trading one out for the other. Is that how you look at it as well? Well, since uh, I was able to bring two platoons, I was a little less worried about the number of infantry slots I had available. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you think about buying two FFI for the free one, you can have a total of six infantry squads in your platoon, which is a a pretty good number of infantry squads and these guys can hold objectives you know they just have to keep going down to stay alive but what gives them which and i guess i skipped that section they have a rule called get back in the fight if any french unit fails an attempt to rally it can immediately roll a second attempt if within six inches of a prevault military squad so these guys are great if there is an attempt to rally. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, but rally, you ignore pins. That's kind of unnecessary. But if you're talking about inexperienced squads, that's where I feel like these guys come into their own, right? And so I had that same thought initially. And then I was like, well, I've failed a rally on an eight before, so maybe I bring these guys. Mm -hmm. And then I've played them for in five games now because it was a five-game tournament. It's Mm -hmm. the only time I've played with these guys. And they were a very effective unit, but they were never in range of any of the failed rally orders I rolled. Uh, this was the unit where I paid for two rifles to then stick two rifle grenades mm-hmm. on. <laughs> I see so, where you're going with this. Yep. 
so they were just a four man mortar team with two mortars and they uh they were really good at just laying down some suppressive fire uh in one game i had to fight five of the italian tankettes and they were actually fairly effective at that because they do have penetration of course because it's it is a light a it's a what a one inch he and so it does have an armor penetration of one doesn't it so it can cause additional pens it does and because it's hitting top armor you get another plus one interesting oh i like it i like where you're going with this cool it's yeah, yeah. and those it's italian sort of tankettes, anti-tank that's yeah yeah and those italian tankettes don't have thick armor to start with no and they're super annoying if there's five of them yeah it's also true well <laughs> let's um let's dig into another chunk of the squads here and these i think are the teeth of this army list in particular we have the Gooms and we have the Trilliers. Let's start with the Gooms. The Moroccan Gumiers are veteran. They are 84 points for six dudes, and you can take up to six additional dudes, and they are 14 points each. Uh, that is because they have Tough Fighter baked in. Uh, you can have an NCO with three guys with submachine guns. You have the light machine gun option, no bar. Uh, you can take anti-tank grenades, But then, notably, very notably, they have one of the rules that I was talking about earlier. They have Mountaineers as an option for an additional point. So for 15 points each, you can take a veteran squad that has up to three SMGs, but has Tough Fighter and Mountaineers, which is huge, in my opinion. Um, Now, Mountaineers is a really... (laughs) Really handy rule. In my opinion, it's one of the best rules in the game, and it sort of sneaks its way into certain unit options, and this is one of them. It allows you to ignore area terrain in certain circumstances. Now, area terrain is a big deal in bolt action. It really limits, I mean, you can only run six inches in it. You can't run through it to assault outside of six inches. So it really does slow down you getting to objectives. It slows your down moving around the table, and it limits your ability to get into assault. And now here's a unit that has Tough Fighter, that has three SMGs to allow you to kick out a few extra shots as you're coming in, and allows you to run 12 inches through a lot of the area train that we see on the tabletop. That's awesome. Yeah, and then they can be stubborn to boot. So after they're done murdering everybody that mm-hmm. was right there, uh, good luck getting them to go away. Exactly. So we're talking 16 points a model at that point, right? Uh, yes, and I did pay for all of those on a nine-man squad with rifles because I haven't painted up my SMGs yet. Ooh. <sighs> yeah, this this is spicy, not to use the internet uh, <laughs> vernacular. <laughs> this is some ugly stuff, and... God, do I want to run a unit of gooms or two in my otherwise fairly vanilla free French list because these guys are proper terrifying. Before you think, hey, I'm just going to take my U.S. Army as these guys, this is a unit that are wearing very distinctive uniforms in the form of their robes. And they have the the robes with the, the very distinctive stripes down them. And they took a big part in the battle for Monte Cassino. And so I, I really want to take these guys because they are part of my favorite battle 
and they look really fun on the tabletop. But it's also sort of a Swiss army squad. You don't have to pay 16 points for them. You can not put Stubborn on them. You cannot put Mountaineers on them. You can just take them as a tough fighter veteran squad, which is great in and of itself. But it allows you to tailor the squad to what your needs are. Uh, but that 16-point option looks really good. Uh, what was your experience with these guys? Because, as you said, you took the rifles. Um, did you take all of the special rules, the 16 points? Yes, they were they were tough fighters, they were stubborn, and they had the Mountaineers. And I feel like I really needed to take a second squad so they could work together. Mm -hmm. um, in a traditional case of bolt action happens, I had the nine-man squad, no casualties, uh, assault. It was six regulars behind a barricade. Yeah. So we swung simultaneously, and he killed four and I killed two Ouch. with tough fighters. Yeah. So I didn't have anything else to go try and root this squad out with. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I, I really wish I had a second tough fighter squad now. Because I also got uh, massacred by some Japanese that flanked me. And if I had had two squads there to try and hold back the two Japanese squads that came at me, I, I probably would have done better. Although this is where those FFI guys with SMGs came into their own and actually uh, initiated a couple of assaults and won. Brilliant. Yeah, man, I love it. Love it. Well, the gooms are good. And by the good, I mean great. But we also have sort of another iconic French addition to the this list, which is the Trilliers, the Senegalese. Now, these guys you can take as inexperienced, regular, or veteran. They are the usual point costs associated with that of seven points in experience, 10 points regular, or 13 points veteran. And they come in a squad of six dudes, like a lot of the other units in this book. Um, but you can add up to another uh, six additional guys. You can give the NCO one SMG. You can give the squad one LMG. But regular and veteran squads can be given Tough Fighter. And regular and veteran squads can be given Mountaineer. And, of course, they can be given Stubborn. So if you liked the Gooms as being sort of a, a Swiss Army squad of being able to add and take away things to create the squad you want, they're still veteran Tough Fighter troops. Like, you can't change that. These guys, you can run them as anything. I mean, you could even technically run them as inexperienced guys with Tough Fighter and Mountaineer and uh, nope, Stubborn. Only, oh, no, you can't take Stubborn. Only regular veteran. Oh, you're right. Because regular and veteran have to, uh, can only take the Mountaineer. I literally just said that. Tough yeah. Fighter. Yep. Sorry. Yep. So there's not a lot of point to take this squad inexperienced. No. Um, and even then, like, this list is supposed to represent France in 1945. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't really be inexperienced anymore. No. I guess because I'm constantly looking at regular everything this is the squad that immediately made me go, wow. Now, oh, yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Warlord makes wonderful metal Senegalese models. Uh, I know that Woodbine also makes some awesome Senegalese metal models, which is fantastic. But War Games Atlantic recently came out with plastic Senegalese uh, as part of their French kit for World War One slash World War Two, And... Oof, that I, I did look very carefully at doing an army of Senegalese, you know, not necessarily to tool everything up because I just love the aesthetic of it. 
And I think it's really cool. And this would be the army list that I use to represent that on the tabletop because I would probably look at doing something in Italy. Uh, and so the the early French list with its vehicles wouldn't match. But wow, this is a, a really cool unit that has tons of options. And because they have those distinctive red almost fezes, they look so cool on the tabletop. Definitely. And that's if you do the mm. Senegalese specifically. There were uh, Algerian and Moroccan uh, Tyrelliers mm -hmm. as well. That's true. Uh, um, Terrillier is just like, uh, I think it's just light infantry. Like that's mm -hmm. its translation. Yeah. So they had all sorts of light infantry units. And interestingly, I was looking in researching for this episode. I was watching old war footage uh, around a variety of, uh, particularly around the Battle of the Bulge and Free French and late war uh, battles, both in France uh, and in Italy. And there was a lot of footage of Algerian troops fighting, and they were wearing the standard American great coats with the standard American helmets. And so, yes, Senegalese were one kind of trilliers, but you could equally use this to represent the Algerian ones, at which point I guess you would just be using your American list. Uh, a lot of the Algerian units did hang on to their, their Adrian helmets, so True. you could uh, stick the Adrian's on there mm -hmm. and it's it's hard to tell from photos and movies but a lot of those troops are actually wearing french great coats because that's just what they found and it was really mm -hmm. cold yeah and honestly as someone who converted an entire japanese great coat army out of soviet great coats let me tell you no one has ever come up to me to say that's not the right kind of great coat to be fair the soviet plastic Gray coats do look a lot like the Japanese style gray coats, but still, a gray coat is kind of a gray coat is kind of a gray coat. Um, yeah, I know the webbing kind of can I be a little thinking. different, but American webbing and French webbing was used interchangeably by a lot of those troops, and so, yeah, I think you'd get away with it. Yeah, not secretly though, I I can't stand gray coats. That's why I don't play early war French because I hate that aesthetic so much. That's just me, though. If you love great coats, carry on. Well, I, I do have <laughs> uh, a great coat U.S. Army and a great coat Japanese Army, and I'm currently working on a great coat Soviet Army, so I might have a great coat problem. But, you know, that's my problem. Let's let's move on. Um, we have uh, a squad that I'm going to mispronounce the name out of uh, really badly, so I'm going to ask you to help me with this. The Brigade, please. Oh, it, the Brigade de Choc. Okay, cool. <laughs> Which is really... It's really weird that like that's the unit name they picked for it, mm -hmm. uh, because like on paper the squad's fine. You know, it's a veteran squad. Uh, it can have five SMGs, a bar, or an LMG, and can be up to twelve men. Like that's a pretty typical American-esque veteran squad. It is. Uh, the brigade to shock themselves though were more akin to like the British commandos. Yeah. So why? we didn't just copy and paste like the British commando entry is beyond me. Well, it's also used to represent um, the French paratrooper units. So it, it's sort of a catch-all section or entry for a lot of different French units, which is interesting given that they, there is a lot of choice of units in here. And yet this one sort of is a catch-all for things that might have different rules, right? 
Yeah, uh, they performed a lot of different roles in the in the war. Like I said, the Brigade de Shock themselves were like commandos. Uh, the Foreign Legion, you had the 13 DBLE, which mm-hmm. uh, fought as infantry for most of the war. Then you had a, a number of Foreign Legion units kind of amalgamated into one, the Marching Regiment of the Foreign Legion, which became the Mechanized Infantry for the 5th Armored Division. Mm-hmm. So, like, that unit, I would give them the... Uh, like the mechanized infantry rule to mm-hmm. make them stand out because I uh, well, the mechanized infantry and that's what they did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I uh, guess, then, I guess it makes sense. This entry makes sense for the airborne elements and the French foreign legion to a degree, because both of those units, if you go back to the parent lists um, that they come from veterans with stubborn, yeah, they're veteran yeah. with stubborn. Right. So that makes yeah. sense. But as you say, the commandos and some of the other, yeah, look, I love this list and I love the variety in this list and the options it gives you. I just wonder, maybe we could have had another entry. I don't know. Don't want to be critical. I I, I love this. I love the list too. And I'm not saying it doesn't have some slight issues like this, where it's Mm -hmm. one squad that is not even representing what it's supposed to represent that well. Mm -hmm. But uh, like Mark Marber's even been on the bolt action Facebook group going, look, it was kind of a quickly thrown together thing. Mm-hmm. We're looking into expanding it later, and yeah. I'm fine with that. Well, we will get to the free French SAS in a second, which does give you the option if you want to take something a little different. Uh, and I, and that is clearly an entry. But before we get to that, let's get to one of my favorites. Uh, mainly because they have the option for skis. It's not even an option. They they just come with them. Yeah, exactly. We have the <laughs> Declare Skillia, Ski Skilliers um, the, uh, section. The, yeah, something like that. Yeah. My French pronunciations aren't that great either. It hurts me because my family's French. Anyway, um, it's <laughs> Veteran six, six Man Squad. They're 14 points each. So, yes, you are paying for the skis, kids. However, they have... Actually, you're paying for the mountain troops right? that's built in. Yeah. So you get a combo of mountain troops and skis built into one squad. Now, of course, skis only ignore movement penalties for snow and other winter conditions. So unless you're playing a, a special mission, that's never going to come up. However, you're paying the one point for the mountaineers. So, you know, it doesn't feel bad if you're taking skis. I have, however, just to make people... Uh, you know, mad taking skis on my French, <laughs> on my fins, and paid for them just to say, "Hey, I have, I have skis." Uh, but it's cool. I like that these guys exist. Um, again, you get six guys, veteran. You can add up to additional six guys. But it's the NCO and three other guys can have submachine guns. You can take a bar, or you can take a light machine gun, uh, and of course, you can take anti-tank grenades. And of course, like everything else we've talked about, because they're what because they're on this list they can take stubborn so essentially you're taking 15 points to get a veteran with stubborn and mountaineers so again you get the same options when we were talking about the trilliers and the gooms but in this particular case um it's just a different type of uniform that i think is really cool and i've actually seen um i talked to a few friends who play french and they were talking about how by the end of the war, so much was being provided by the Americans as far as gear went that um, it wouldn't be outrageous to think that these guys would actually be in great coats with the helmets by the end of the war or just wearing regular U.S. uniforms. Um, so you could definitely use some U.S. 
forces to represent this on the tabletop as well. But as we said, if you wanted to do that, you could easily just do it with the Trilliers. Have you any experience with these guys? What are your thoughts? Um, I actually like this squad more than the Brigade to Shock squad. Uh, they get one less SMG, which is only marginally less firepower, mm-hmm. but then they get moved through cover. And what I did was I took a squad of 10 of these and another squad of eight and put them in half tracks and charged my half tracks up the table and then jumped them out in terrain and would either assault out of the terrain if I had to or run behind it, just do whatever I needed to do. Uh, but by just moving through the terrain, mm-hmm. it frustrated my opponents a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know in countless games where I was running my partisans where they get the move through terrain rule in the first turn of any game that they play. It's one of their national rules. People would just be dumbfounded when all of a sudden my army was in a completely different position than what they expected because I just ignored terrain as I moved forward. It was huge. And then to have that ability the entire game would really allow you to be more maneuverable then I even hate to say maybe even American armies, depending on the tabletop, because though Americans get the fire and maneuver and they're always moving and they're always putting that pressure on to be able to run through terrain at 12 inches is so valuable. It's wild, right? Yeah, I can either move and shoot with no penalty by playing Americans or I can play these French and move and get out of line of sight and maybe live another turn. Mm-hmm. I can tell you which one of those probably comes in handy a little more often. Exactly, right? Well, let's talk Free French SAS because they are next. They are a much smaller squad. So you're getting 72 points for four guys. So each guy is 18 points and that is you can have up to four additional guys so this is the first squad that we've seen that doesn't go up to 12 it is a max of eight um any man and they come with rifles and pistols so they have tough fighter baked in any man can replace his rifle with a submachine gun for two points that is because they already have the assault rule because they have pistols up to two men can take light machine guns and light machine guns can be upgraded to the Vickers LMGs, which basically gives them um, a plus one dice compared to regular LMG. Basically, you're paying five points for Hitler's buzzsaw. Then you also get the, um, the option for uh, anti-tank grenades. Now, they have a rule that gives them, um, to represent their special training, they have fanatics. So they've paid for that in their points. And they ignore the minus one for coming in off the table. So these guys are really interesting add. They're veteran. They have tough fighter. They ignore the minus one for coming in. And you can pay to give them uh, German LMGs. Some really interesting options here. But they are, as I said, 18 points a man. Now, you wouldn't obviously put stubborn on the squad uh, because it already has veteran. But... Um, I guess if you're already looking at paying 16 points for certain veteran squads, this one all of a sudden doesn't seem super expensive. <clears throat> they are expensive. Um, what are your thoughts? Uh, so my first thought, uh, just reading their entry, is that it's weird that they're in here at all because I'm pretty sure that the French SAS were not really released back to the French army till after the war. Like they kept doing operations with the British SAS. But then as a unit, 
I would totally put stubborn on these, and I have because I'm a madman. <laughs> but I've also had them killed down to one man before and go, oh, I'm still stubborn. Yeah. A- a- but, that eight uh, points for one dude with stubborn. Look, if that's your battle plan and that's what you want it for, that option exists, right? Yeah. So the first time I played with these guys and took a, a platoon of SAS was for Conflict 47 in um, at Adepticon mm-hmm. because we could bring a bolt action list if we wanted to. And so I had just gotten my Kickstarter reward from, oh, who does Berlin or Bust? Oh, uh, I know. Yeah, the name's... Um, is that Westwind? Yeah, Westwind. Exactly. So I, I'd gotten their U.S. Marines as my Kickstarter reward. And I was like, I'm going to turn these into foreign legionnaires because I think foreign legionnaires with body armor would look cool. Mm-hmm. And then I thought the uh, the SAS would like mirror body armored SAS with some slightly higher tech weapons. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, they're legionnaires, so they have to be stubborn. I do not care. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> that is cool that you have that option, though. I don't think I'd be hard pressed to think of another unit in the game that has that option. I, I don't really think there is. Uh, yeah, I don't really play not... with the SAS that often, though. Yeah, I just, they're so points heavy. And like I, I took them to the tournament last weekend and put them in a scout car and that was probably not what I should have been doing with them because they just did not perform for me at all Mm. I mean they are one of those units that people look at and say that's expensive and that's expensive for a reason so I'm going to get rid of that pretty damn quickly Um, but they can be a really interesting Swiss Army squad if to achieve a particular goal part of me really wants to try and run I have this thing with really stupidly expensive units that you know, <laughs> I, I want to I try and just run an army of. I want to theme an army around them. And two units in particular, two entire regiments of Free French SAS were used in operations around the campaigns in and around Normandy, French, Belgian, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of want to run a Free French SAS army just for giggles. Um, like, I also kind of like the idea of Soviet assault engineers as an army. Like, things that people say, cool, too expensive. Well, I actually like the Soviet scout squads myself. I'd play an army of those. I think uh, that'd be fun. I have an army of those. Or I had them, I sold them, and I bought another one. Uh, huh. And now I have to paint that other one. And I was recently very tempted to buy the original one back. But unfortunately, finances, whew, raising interest rates in Australia uh, mean slash expenses for other reasons mean I don't think I'll be able to do that. But God, man, I absolutely adored playing that army. The Scout Soviet army is, is that's a podcast episode in and of itself. So um, we'll, we'll come back to that. But let's get to the last squad, something we mentioned earlier, the French Intelligence Squad. Now, this is an intelligence officer and three dudes. Um, you can take it as inexperienced, regular, or veteran. Um, you can take up to three additional dudes. They are one point more than what you would normally pay, uh, and they get the intelligence officer rule. You can take them with stubborn, and if it is a brigade to shock intelligence section, uh, I believe it has to be veteran, and you must pay to give them stubborn. But yeah, that's an interesting option. If you like the intelligence rule, that is definitely one way to go, although they are expensive because... The 23 points is baked in 
to the squad. So the officer leads that squad. And then you have the three guys plus three additional guys. So you can get up to, what, seven guys? Seven. Yeah. With three SMGs. Yep. And they can. And that's really their only upgrade weapon wise. But they do get, you do get that option of the intelligence rule of being able to possibly steal the first dice in a turn, which is huge. And if that is part of your game plan, this might be a way of doing it. They also have behind enemy lines, so they can outflank a little easier. Seven guys, um, you know, it's kind of a weird option. I don't think I've ever done it before. I usually just kind of camp them in the backfield and maybe have them hold an objective or something because their only job really is to just, you know, let you roll that dice. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm not saying you can't outflank them by any means. The rule's there. Go on ahead and try it. Yeah. And it might be one of those things that if these are the guys that you really want to outflank and get in people's rear, I was thinking you only get two SMGs, but the officer can be given an SMG for free which is, I believe, why they have that extra three points tagged onto them. because So you can have up to three SMGs in the squad. I mean, there's better outflanking units in this list, but if that's something you really want with the, these guys, because then you have the opportunity to possibly steal the dice next time, I, I don't know. Look, there's ways of doing this. It depends on what you really want to do with your life. But again, I like that this that there are options for this on the tabletop. Any final thoughts before we get into small teams? So there's one more squad option. It's not in this book. It's in the Battle for France book. Oh, that's right. Yep. And that is the French Engineers. It's not in this article I wrote. I actually wrote a second uh, little article with the Engineer squad in it and rifle grenades. And I talk about how the rifle grenades can work in every squad as well. The Engineers... I think they can be an experienced regular or veteran. They can be regular or veteran for sure. Mm-hmm. And you can tell these were written for an early war book because the NCO has a pistol mm-hmm. and everyone else has rifles. And their only upgrade really is that you can have the flamethrower, mm-hmm. uh, which is why people take engineer squads. But I like my engineer squads to have a little more versatility, like with the U.S. getting a couple of SMGs and a bar in there yeah. so that they can still perform if the flamethrower runs out of fuel or something um, but you can put them on motorcycles uh, which could be fun and scoot them all around the board a flamethrower squad with motorcycles is pretty wild but that is also very expensive uh, you could also give them three rifle grenades so if the flamethrower dies they can still be a mobile mortar squad <laughs> now we're just throwing points after points though <laughs> You're right. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, I am just throwing out there your options. <laughs> Look, you're right. <laughs> Not gonna take that from you. Well, let's 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 talk about the small teams because right. this does have a reasonable. I mean, it is it is a minor powers list. It's a pretty fleshed out minor power. Oh, it is, but it does have the minor power limited list of options as far as small teams go. So we have medium machine guns. We have bazooka teams. We have sniper teams. Uh, Which don't are... actually snipe, weird enough. Yeah, but mm, get into that in a minute. Um, <laughs> flamethrower teams, light mortar teams, and medium mortar teams. 
So let's run through those. Given what we've talked about with the rules, do you have any big takeaways? I mean, we've talked about all of these types of units a million times in the past. Do you think any of these particularly synergize with the free French in general, or are they just sort of general from what you would expect? Well, I mean, so since they can all be stubborn, um, the MMG team has suddenly become a little more interesting to me. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can have two of them. It's a slightly watered-down version of the American rule. But if you want to go FFI heavy, that's right. you can have two stubborn MMG teams to kind of give them support on the table. Yeah. And I know you like your uh, MMG teams there, Brad. <laughs> Let me just, well, I've had a lot of people <laughs> coming at me recently about that. Let me be clear. I run them. I don't hate them. But I don't know if I necessarily love them. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, there's video evidence that I've played with them before, so... There you go. There you go. (laughs) Well, uh, one section that they do get the full gambit of options is artillery. Artillery Artillery-wise, they get light, medium, or heavy artillery, as in all the options in the armies of the United States. They... Do have very limited anti-aircraft, though. They get the 40-millimeter Bofors gun, and they have the light AT gun. They have the medium, Oh, too. it's the medium. It's the 57. I have in my notes it's the 37. You're right. So they do have a little bit more kick as far as AT options than I was giving them credit for. But with this list, you do have the full options of howitzers, and a lot of people love that. So... There are plenty of options here, but unlike the French list from earlier in the uh, Armies of France book, they don't get a free artillery piece, obviously. Um, what are your thoughts mm-hmm. about the artillery options? I, I think they're fine. I have yet to play with a, a mounted autocannon like in any army ever. Uh, I really want to. It's just that I don't own any models. Mm. I hear uh, you. And I want to like fixed AT guns. I really do. I've just never had them do anything for me if it's not something like the 25-pounder where it can switch uh, ammunition type. Yeah. I've run a variety of AT guns, and I think the medium AT gun is actually more effective than people give it credit for um, because people either treat it as a massive deterrent or they ignore it thinking it's not a big deal, and then it puts a hole in them, and they go, oh, God, that I wasn't expecting that. And I went, well, it was right there in ambush waiting for you. There it is. Or it, it, you know, is able to put a pin on a vehicle um, if it doesn't penetrate, at least because vehicles have a hard time walking off the damage from that. Look, I I like that option. But when I played this list, I was just running my generic Americans, as I said before, and I just had a light howitzer and having the medium mortar and the light howitzer sort of firing in tandem across the battlefield I thought worked really well with stubborn troops. It helped me to put pressure on different points when I was moving forward. And I just found it really handy. Of course, that's more of a preference thing rather than the options in this. I have run many Bofors guns. I have a Bofor model that I used on my fins for a while, way back when. And I've used it in a couple of other armies because I've never painted it. Um, But I have played in friendly games with it. And so I would really like to paint that up Finally, give it a proper home and put it somewhere. The problem is, because it's a heavy autocannon, you need a tow. And spoilers, getting to the transport section, 
this is an army list that comes with the mule team built in. So you can actually drag it into place, which some lists you can't. Um, although I do know that they have changed the rules that you can actually just move it on the table. But if you want to redeploy it, you do need that mule team. And the mule team's great if you want to spend five points for an additional order dice. Or they have everybody's favorite M4, M5 artillery tractor. Mm -hmm. I just have one of those. I just got one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which you can go on ahead and stick some machine guns on. Hell yeah. Uh, now, I was, I've been talking about that option a lot recently. And it makes me wonder. I got to thinking, because uh, it's end of uh, semester and I'm writing a lot of reports, and it means I have a couple of sleepless nights every now and then because I'm working too much and not getting enough fun. And sometimes when I'm trying to do that, I think about bolt action to go to sleep, which never works because then I get excited about armyless ideas. And one of those wacky ideas had in, in the middle of the night was, wait a minute. I know that with the machine gun or with the Jeep options, when you add the machine gun to it, they become armored cars. They lose their transport capacity and they automatically fall into the armored car slot. I know this isn't a transport like a Jeep. It's, it's a transport that is a tow. If you put the machine gun on this tow, it still counts as the tow, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. Because it doesn't lose transport capacity by gaining that machine gun. Right. I just Unlike was the wondering scout that. car or the Jeep, which right. do lose trans. Well, in the scout car's case, it loses transport capacity if you elect to make it recce, but it's the same vein. Kids at home, if you have strong feelings about this, please message Castice, C A S T D I C E, on Facebook. I would like to know. If I put a machine gun on my artillery tractor, and I literally just got one of these, and I'm using one of these in my G.I. Joe army, and it's a different vehicle that has a machine gun on it, does it count as my armored car slot, and can it still tow my big gun around? Because I have a heavy laser cannon for my G.I. Joe army that really needs towing. Anyway, those are my questions for you today. But yeah, the M4, M5... Artillery tractor is, it may not be a five-point mule, but it is way more durable, it being a soft skin vehicle. It's 15 points, and as you say, you can give it a heavy machine gun for 25 points, which is not bad at all. It is not. It is, it is amazing, actually. I just haven't played with it yet. Yeah. Hmm, that Bofors and that, that artillery tractor are looking pretty tasty for me with this list. I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, well, let's move on to vehicles, because we're already getting there. Now, the tank list is very limited, um, although it was interesting in watching a lot of footage for the battles in and around Strasbourg uh, and the, the French and German line in 1945, there were a lot of vehicles specifically listed from this list, and it was really kind of cool to say, oh, look, there's an M10. Oh, look. You know, there's an M4A1 Sherman. Oh, look, there's an M5 Stewart. It was really cool. Or there's a priest. And it was really neat to see that there, I guess. Uh, I guess I just don't watch enough war footage. But let's talk about the options. We have two kinds of Stewarts here. We have the M3A3, which is not everyone's favorite machine gun tank. It is the more refined Stewart. But we also have, so the M4 
A3 is the one that has a light AT, excuse me, a light AT gun in the turret with a coax MMG and a forward hole mounted MMG, but you can give it recce. The M5, which is my personal favorite, is mine as well. I love the M5. And we'll get to that why in a second. Again, you have your light AT gun in the turret with a coax MMG forward and a hole mounted MMG. It does not have the recce option. Oh, I was about to say, actually, it should. It should, but it's it... the most recent FAQ. Oh, uh, does the M5 it? Stewarts were given the option to buy recce. Oh, there we go. Uh, which um, is also where all French vehicles that get gyro stabilizers now get to benefit from them. Oh, brilliant. I was about to bring that up. I'm glad you said that. The M5 also has the option of a pintle-mounted HMG, and you can give it a Cullen hedge, uh, Hedgerow Cutter, which, if you take that rule, it costs 10 points. And if a tank so equipped may advance through any bocage or hedgerow or comparative ob- obstacle um, otherwise rated as impassable to vehicles, it does not automatically, as it does, it automatically creates a gap passable to tracked vehicles moving at an advanced rate. I want to talk about that rule in a minute. But what makes the M5 particularly interesting is, and the one that I love for it, is that it is counted as it being armor nine plus to the front because normally the two stewards are light tanks so they're eight plus armor but when you try and fire at the front of the m5 it is like trying to shoot a sherman which makes it that much more durable it gives it a chin so to speak i love the two steward options that are here i don't i'm not phased by the fact that it's not the machine gun boat steward what are your thoughts uh, so I've played the machine gun boat Stuart even before they were um, nerfed with the FAQ with mm-hmm. a desert Australian army. Mm-hmm. And I felt a little dirty, mm-hmm. but I was also playing with people that were trying to be as competitive as they could. So maybe not that dirty, but no, the M5 Stuart, like even aesthetically, just its lines yeah. and that weird swoopy thing on the mm-hmm. side of the turret where the right? pintle machine gun goes. Yeah. I love it. I love how it looks. This nine plus armor is awesome. Uh, now that it's gyro stabilized, which historically I I don't think, like I don't even know why the Americans get it, but maybe someone could explain it to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I've heard that's a bit of contention with some people, but I will take that advantage if I decide to go veteran. Yeah. It's a cool, versatile little tank. It gives you it, if you want to run some light options, uh, some cheap tank options. You do have two very significantly different, I mean, similar in that they're armed similarly, but the M5, I mean, you can take the M3, A3 with recce, and I guess now you can take the M5 with recce, but the M5, you can also uh, get the option of having that thicker front. You can also add that extra heavy machine gun if you want to risk unzipping it. There are options, and I like that a lot. I also like when you get a little bit heavier, you get the options for the 75 millimeter and the 76 millimeter Sherman. You get the M4, A1, A2, A3 for both, and then of course the A4 as well in the in the 75 millimeter variant. Because there are lots of options within those unit entries to get rid of catches fire 
to have increased HE, to change around pintle weapons and add adding the hedgerow cutter. There are some cool variants depending on which sort of version of a medium tank you want to take. And as I have a painted up Sherman, when I played these guys, I ran the Sherman and it was it was great. So oh no, I didn't. I took the priest. I took the Sherman when I was running them as Americans the week before. But you know, if you like a medium tank, you like a Sherman, you have lots of options here. Any hot takes on the Sherman options without getting into all the points in the nitty gritty? Because I feel like Sherman's have been done to death over the years. Uh, I mean, they really have because they're the, the basic medium of mm. the Americans and the British get them. The Russians can take them. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it, or at least I'm not aware of it, but I bet you the Germans get them somehow. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say... I wouldn't be surprised, but I can't think of where it would be. But yeah, definitely. Um, I I brought two of them to Bug Eater last year. Had a lot of fun with that. They're they're just fun. They're Shermans. Yeah, exactly. I like the seventy five more than seventy six because of that HE round. Yeah, ditto, ditto. Although I do occasionally like a bigger gun to put a hole in another tank. But of course, it depends on what kind of event you're playing in and who's playing what, right? Yeah. Well, and if I wanted a if I want a bigger gun. I did build an M10 tank destroyer and I converted some crew for it and everything. Well, Although, yeah. And I played with it last weekend and I kept wishing I'd brought a steward instead. Mm, well, let's <laughs> let's talk about that because I have actually seen someone run an M10 on the tabletop recently. JL from the Bacon Burgers ran one at Easter Front and it was really cool to see one on the table because I don't think I'd seen an M10 previously. Uh, now, the M10 is, of course, an open-top tank destroyer. It's 180 points regular. Uh, it has the option for inexperienced and veteran as well. But you can take a heavy, heavy, uh, heavy AT gun in its turret, and it has eight armor, and it is, or it has the option, I should say, for having a heavy machine gun at additional 25 points, which you would probably automatically add, given that it has open-topped built-in, so you're always unzipped, so to speak. So... Yeah. I actually didn't pay for that because I figured I would be firing that gun out of range of the machine gun. Mm. Um, yeah. That was my thought process. It did never really work out that way, but that was my thought process. Yeah, it's the bolt action boards are fairly tight enough that every time I've done that, I've done something similar with my Hellcat, and I've always ended up taking the HMG just because, and I've found that I've ended up using the HMG in just about every turn in the game. So... Yeah, I was a little sad because I do have a beautifully painted Hellcat that I was like, yes, I can take a Hellcat in this army. No, I can't. So I yeah might be didn't painted. quite make it there. No, but that's all right. I it gives me an excuse to like you convert up an M10 and have some fun with it. But if I'm gonna be rocking uh, a tank, an open top tank in this army, the next two options might be my favorites, and those are the self propelled artillery options. We have the M8 Scott, which is, of course, the the stubby-barreled light howitzer turret Stuart, and the M7 Priest, which is my personal favorite. I absolutely love both, which is, of course, the open-topped, forward-casement-mounted medium howitzer that has the HMG built in for 160 points on an Armor 8 tank. Uh, these are both very cool. Uh, I was a little sad the M12 didn't make it because I've been wanting to convert one and I thought this would be a cool ad. But um, what are your thoughts about the self-propelled artillery? Because I love a priest. 
Well, I'll start with the priest. That is that I don't have, like, on paper it looks amazing. I just have no experience with it because I don't own one. The M8, though, uh, I built and painted two a while back. Never played with them. Decided I'd take them with me to Bug Eater because Mm -hmm. uh, trying new things. And uh, I love them. Like, two light howitzer tanks with HMGs. Although the HMG is kind of... uh, it feels like false hope sometimes because mm-hmm. you sit there and think, I have plus one armor penetration. I can hurt this thing. And then you don't hurt the thing and you feel cheated. Yeah, for me, an HMG is always more of a, it's either how I deal with veteran troops because you get the plus one pen. So all of a sudden they treat as regular or it's what I use against uh, transports that are carrying people to give them pins more to more than to kill them. Or just to put pins on armored vehicles, particularly light ones, because of the proliferation of light armor and light tanks on the tabletop, by having something that has an armor pen, if you can shoot it in the side with a heavy machine gun, there's no way for them to walk off that pin to roll it off if they're regular or ignore it if they're veteran. So it really does really help when dealing with that sort of situation and and getting those pins out which can be huge in this game right yeah i mean that was my thought and i guess my opponents just are really good at rolling their leadership Mm. or their their order tests yeah because there were several times where i was knife fighting like the italian tank gets with the m8 and i'd be like i'm gonna shoot this one in the side with my 50 cal and i'm gonna shoot this one you know with the light howitzer and the light howitzer would do something because it's plus two in HE, and then the 50 cal would hit, and then I'd like glance and I'd mm-hmm. shake the vehicle, and then he'd roll up, you know, like a lieutenant or something and get it moving again. And then my open topped M8 is just sitting there surrounded by tankettes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not great. I mean, that is a particularly rough list having to face five armored vehicles on a tabletop. But, uh, well, let's let's talk about the other m8 because if we get into the armored cars with this list you can take a greyhound uh, which i took in my free french list last weekend and i really enjoyed playing um i there is also the free french sas jeep honestly i I know that is going to be the go-to for most people because it's so point and so point efficient and it's got a bunch of machine guns and it zips around and it's got recce and it's tiny i have faced jeeps like this countless times in my buddy lee's army but given that it's supposed to be tied to the french sas and they didn't often fight along other french free french units from what i found uh, i could be completely wrong about that um please let me know if i am i i would probably stick with the greyhound and or take ye old jeep and put a machine gun on it would probably be my armored car slot although yes i am aware that the there is another option here which is the white scout car which you can remove the transport option and make that a uh, armored car as well which is another option i know that some people love and some people hate that option uh but there are four armored car slot options even though there's only two in there if that makes sense um there's actually five uh one of the faqs added a french sas armored jeep oh that's right there you go but again which is not in my article i've and i've never really played with jeeps i really wanted to run my m3 scout car as 
you know, my armored car. And mm-hmm. then I just kept waffling back and forth between, will it be my armored car? Will it be a transport? And it probably would have done better if I'd run it as an armored car, if I'm being honest. It can be really good as an armored car. I've, I've faced that a couple times. I really liked running my Greyhound when I was running my Free French uh, because I ran the Priest as my main armored vehicle. And it allowed me to have something that would zip around. And because it has that light AT gun, it did give me the option of damaging or at least pinning tanks in my opponent's list um, without me having to turn the medium howitzer against it. And I yes, this list can also take a bazooka. I had one of those as well. And the bazooka actually didn't do anything. However, uh, I also had a flamethrower team, and that did. So... But I also like the option on the Greyhound that you can use it as a really mobile machine gun platform. Yes, it's not the most efficient point-wise for that, but it's wheeled. So it's faster than a lot of the light tanks that a lot of people depend on to shoot infantry, and it's got the light AT gun. I know a lot of people say the Greyhound's garbage. I actually like it. Anyway, that those are my thoughts. I, I also like the Greyhound, and, you know, if you're playing Americans or the Free French, like, what other armored options do you have? Yeah. Really. True. Uh, I mean, we're not the British with our plethora of armored cars with AT guns galore. Yeah. Uh, nor are we the early war French that have a plethora of machine gun armored cars. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can give it the HMG, so you can have two machine guns on your Armor 7-wheeled vehicle. And I, I love putting it on a road if I can. Oh yeah, but that making it wield does limit its options in that it can't go over certain kinds of obstacles and can't drive through certain types of terrain, but makes it so fast, uh, particularly when it's as you say on a road, that some people can forget that it can get to places, and then the next turn, if you use it sort of at the end of the turn, if you can zip up, mow people down, or put a hit on a vehicle using that light AT gun. Or even, you know, you get multiple shots with the heavy machine gun and the light AT gun if you need something to get a pin on it. But then, the beginning of the next turn, if they go to shoot at you, you can recce away. Uh, again, because it's wheeled, you can actually go pretty far, too. Uh, particularly if you're on a road. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of options there. Again, I really like it. Shall we get into transports? Obviously, yeah. we've already said there's a Jeep. There's already the white scout car. The Technically, the quote-unquote most efficient unit in the game as far as transports go that everyone seems to love and talk about, which is the Dodge Beep, the three-quarter ton truck. That is in here as well. The one-and-a-half ton truck, which is your standard truck, is in here. You can take the heavier truck, which is the two-and-a-half ton truck, which is cool. The RD tractor, which we talked about before, and if you really want a half track, there's the M5 standard American half track, which says see the M3 half track entry in the armies of the United States or in armies of Great Britain. And of course, we talked about the mule team. Is there anything in here that you want to talk about as far as transports? I think it's just a nice selection that allows you to tailor the transport options to what you want to do with your infantry squads. And transports are often the thing that minor power nations are really limited by. And it's really cool to see so many options in this. Uh, I agree. I love the uh, 
the choices they have. And the Free French Army, when the Americans started just dumping equipment on them, mm -hmm. had a lot of mechanized troops. So they absolutely should be able to take half-tracks. Um, I'm not much of a truck person myself just because I don't care for soft skins, but mm -hmm. I know people do love them and they do take them. And I own a couple. I've, I've played with them. I just I don't care for them. Yeah. But that's that's an opinion. And yeah. uh, I'm going to stick with it. <laughs> I really do love soft skins, but I'm trying to limit using them because they seem to be the hotness at the moment. And I am just trying not to be that guy. But they are the hotness for a good reason. They are very, very good. They are just way more durable in version two of the game. And the fact that it allows you to get from point A to point B, usually with an extra machine gun shot on the top, doesn't hurt either um, they're just great they're efficient they get around um, I do like the option that this list has a half track uh, I know that a lot of people aren't running them but if you really want one it's in there <laughs> I love half tracks I half say, tracks are yeah. awesome I was handballing that to you yes continue <laughs> I, I mean it's armor 7 it carries 12 guys you can just ram them up someone's throat I actually did something interesting with them uh, last year that nobody says is a good idea, and I remounted a half track. Oh, wow. That's something you don't see every day. And then I moved that half track because this happened on, like, turn two, straight up the board and dumped the squad out on an objective by, like, turn four, and it won me the game because mm -hmm. why wouldn't you get in the transport and run if you can? Yeah. And it is very... One of those things that often is forgotten and has won me a couple of games in the past. And I don't think I've said it on a podcast is if you are able to jump a squad into a half track and then get that half track to an objective over the course of a turn or two, a unit in a half track next to an objective can still claim the objective. And if they get hit a bunch of times in the, in the half track, that's fine. I don't care. Just They're going to have some pins on them. I can rally if it, goes over the edge of a turn and I need to. But if you blow up the half track, okay, cool. My guys take some casualties. Cool. Then they go down next to the objective, usually behind the cover provided by the wrecked vehicle. Okay. So half tracks can be great for that. Um, more so than soft skins. And I have done that trick with soft skins in the past, but um, soft skins don't give you nearly as much cover and they are not nearly as durable as that armored vehicle. So yeah, good stuff, right? Oh, it's it's great. And even if you happen to lose half a squad to the explosion, it doesn't matter. You're stubborn. Yeah. Now, I wanted to come back, hook back to Cullen Hedgerow Cutters just for a sec before we sure. jump into um, some final thoughts. But there was a collective insanity uh, across the world it's one of those things where people i'm trying to think of the example of someone believing that someone died in prison oh i think everyone thought that nelson mandela died in prison was this collective thought that didn't actually wasn't reality but millions of people across the world thought it was and one of those things in bolt action was the idea that when an armored vehicle drives through a wall or a hedge it destroys it and or leaves a hole that you can drive through and it may be because of the hedgerow cutter rule that people think that that's a case um, i know that it recently came up as a debate 
between team captains and the WTC event. I know that we even played like that in Australia for a while. Uh, I think when, when version 2 switched over, we realized that wasn't a rule and people stopped playing that way. Uh, I don't know where that came from, but I like that you can give a vehicle that option that with the hedgerow cutter rule that you can cut through certain walls and obstacles that vehicles normally find impassable, and it does leave a spot open for other vehicles to drive through, which is cool, uh, but is not normally in the rules. Did you guys play that ever? Because I know people around the world have been playing that that way for a long time, but that is that vehicles put holes in walls, tracked vehicles in particular, um, that other vehicles could then drive through. That, that's literally how we were playing it last weekend. Yeah. Um, nope. That is actually oh, not in the rules. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people just, because it makes sense, right? Yeah. If you think about it, if a tank drives through a wall, there's a hole in your wall now. Right. Not in the rules. Who would have thunk? Wow, that's weird. Yeah, okay. I know, right? I Look, I'm happy to be wrong. And uh, please... People who can find it in a rule book or in an FAQ, please tell me. Because we used to play it that way, and then we haven't played it that way. And when I was talking with Al about WTC, he was saying that that was a discussion between team captains, and no one could find it in a book. So we're assuming it's not there. However, if you can find it in Bolt Action's very lovely laid out rule book, please let me know. Uh, please message the page, Cast Ice. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E on Facebook. I would love to see a picture. Thank you. Um, well, let's let's wrap up because we've been going for quite a while now. I'm really excited about playing Free French more. I am actively looking at getting some blisters of uh, maybe Senegalese or maybe some Gooms. I, I don't need to add those because, as we said, I could easily adapt different units that I already have painted. But I really want to add some of that flavor. Uh, even if it's ordering some more Great Coat American models and some Adrian helmet models, cutting the heads off of both and then doing a head swap so that I can have American Great Coats with Adrian soldiers in my existing army, I'm really excited to do more with the idea of Free French. I find them way more interesting rules-wise than basic Americans at this point. Even though they have fewer options technically, the infantry options as far as being able to play around with uh, Mountaineers in particular is such a powerful rule. And when I was playing the Free French, I maybe because I'm not usually a U.S. player, I didn't miss fire and maneuver one little tiny bit but i really really enjoyed having stubborn on regular squads i found that to be super effective and really handy what are your thoughts are you tracking what i'm saying or do you have different thoughts on this oh no like i said on that post you made fire and maneuver is a crutch <laughs> <laughs> oh yep. back to the old easy mode discussion i see <laughs> you mean the boring mode discussion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, sorry to our to the American players out there, but I really love where this goes with the U.S. Army options, but being able to play them in a different way that better matches my play style, right? 
I I think yeah, they're a lot more versatile, really, when you break it down. Yeah. And I mean, this morning as I was I don't know if anyone has ever watched the Netflix show Better Someone Feed Phil, where it's the guy who's the producer from uh that Raymond uh sitcom in the 90s uh where and it's this guy who just goes around and eats food and whenever he eats something delicious he does this like fist bump in the air and he uh, makes this silly face it's like yeah it's so good and um uh, look during lockdown i watched a lot of it because we weren't going anywhere and it, it i got to see the world and it's delicious foods but I had one of those moments this morning in a coffee shop as I was sitting, drinking my bucket of coffee, preparing for this episode, and I was watching video footage of uh, Algerian trilliers in U.S. uniforms fighting uh, the Germans on the French-German line in 1945 and just going, yes, yes, now that's my army. Boom. Give me more of that. Um, which is why I definitely need more Adrienne helmets in my great coat American army. But I desperately want to play that army now. I think it's so cool. I'm not going to max out every squad, but it gives me options to mix and match what I'm putting in the army to suit the purpose of what I want the squads to do. But that is just so cool and so interesting and so different than other bolt action armies. Yes, you're paying for it, but you're paying a point per rule that really is a Swiss Army knife of options for squads that I really enjoy and I definitely want to take advantage of and try out on the tabletop. I'm so excited for this. Like, I'm so excited about Free French. It's disgusting. I might just have to order a Scott now. Like, it's cool. It's, oh, they're they're awesome. And there's, uh, there's a couple of places where you can get 3D printed heads that look phenomenal. Mm. That's actually what I put on most of my troops because I gave a bunch of them the tanker helmets because they really liked those too. How interesting. Now, what do those look like? I know that makes um, for terrible audio, but. So in a way they look like those old cuirassier helmets, the French cavalry war, except, you know, instead of being silver and shiny, they were olive drab and had a leather kind of like strap across the front of it mm -hmm. that I assume is so it protects your head if you smack it around inside of a tank. Makes sense. And it had a, a slight lip on the back to protect your neck from shell fragments. That would look cool. Uh, you know, it, again, it, it's something that adds a little bit of flavor. It's something different on your force to make it look original. Yeah. Well, there's one more. Well, there's plenty of bits of flavor but i have one at the top of my head mm, that hit me you might be interested in the fourth moroccan spahis in italy and also on corsica when they liberated it painted their m3 scout cars in camouflage schemes similar to the early war french tank schemes oh cool yes nice. and i painted up my m3 like that and i'll probably paint up a couple more like that because it is awesome I might need to steal a couple of picture of the pictures of those and post them on the Facebook page. So please send them over. Of my armored car or the actual evidence or both? Both. Sure thing. <laughs> right on. Well, as we start talking about color schemes on armored cars, I hate to say it. I think our time might be coming to a close. 
thank you so much for coming on, brother. Any final thoughts on the Free French? Uh, no, I, they're a great army. I love playing them, and I can't believe so many podcasters were like, yeah, just play Americans instead. Didn't even bother to look through their rules or anything. Look, if you <laughs> do a cursory look, they're just I can Americans. understand. But yeah, if I, you actually dig in, and it, I think that's the case with a lot of these minor powers, that if you actually go back and really dig in, you can find some real, real gems. And I think this whole army is. Um, I know we've talked a little bit. You mentioned Mark by name. Mark Marber is the author of this book. I think yes. he's knocked it out of the park. I absolutely adore the book, as I said, and I adore this list. And the more I mess around with it, the more I'm getting excited about it. And I definitely think Free French are going to be something that you're going to see on a tabletop with me playing it going into the future. Uh, so watch the space, kids. More French coming. Oh, I look forward to seeing it. I mean, yeah. I drew a lot of inspiration from Brian Cook's stuff. Yeah. And if you haven't seen it, go to Bolt Action Alliance on Facebook. Look up in their photo album section, his Free French Army. Unbelievable stuff. Tons of conversions, uh, was, beautiful paint jobs, amazing. He was nice enough to put tutorials on Paint All the Minis, too. That's right. That's right. I was about to say that. And if you want to copy that, please go to the painting section of Paint All the Minis. I believe they're also linked on the Bolt Action Alliance Facebook page. Uh, and you can find painting tutorials to find out how you, too, can paint like Brian Cook. Good luck. You can also destroy your eyes painting gooms like I did. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I think Patch has a painting guide out there as well on how to paint gooms. Oh, or it may have been Brian. Uh, I just know I've seen some fantastic stuff over the years. Awesome. I think they both awesome. Do, which is crazy. Yeah. Ooh. Well, on that note, guys, I know I've put out several calls today. Uh, if you would like to message the page with ideas for future episodes, there are going to be some episodes coming up about other game systems. There are going to be some additional Warlord Games podcast episodes coming on the network shortly. And there will be more bolt action content because that seems to be what everyone's requesting at the moment. But if you would like something else, please message the page and let us know. C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. Cast Ice. Facebook. Message. Your guaranteed response by me, Brad. Hi. Um, although sometimes I sleep, so it might take a few hours. Uh, Ian, again, thank you for coming on, brother. Yeah, I can't wait to hear how I sound and instantly regret hearing how I sound. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, as someone who has to edit podcasts with his own voice, I assure you, uh, I hate it. So <laughs> hopefully yeah, you, you enjoy it better. You sound different now than I know you will on the, the recording, which has kind of caught me off guard. <sighs> there you go, man. The joy of podcasting and no <laughs> filters involved, just me talking. Anyway. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.